Welcome to Voices United, a congregational song podcast. I am your host, Benjamin Brody, and I'm delighted in this episode to visit with Sally Ann Morris. Sally is a composer and church musician with three collections of hymn tunes published by GIA Publications. My interview with Sally took place in front of a live audience in September 2022 in Spokane, Washington. Sally is joining us. This is a first for the podcast in a live recording here in the recital hall at Whitworth University where I teach. Sally and I are joined by a number of students and faculty members from Whitworth. So welcome, Sally. Ben, thanks. It's, it's, a, it's lovely to be invited to be here and to be here with uh, this uh, class. Thank you. Sally, I wonder if you could start by just sharing a little bit about your earliest memories of hymns or congregational singing. How did your childhood experiences uh, shape your vocation as a songwriter? I have early memories of, of, of going to church. We were in the Presbyterian Church that was right across the street. I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And so we, I grew up in Winston-Salem, and um, we joined the church across the street. My dad was a, a good singer and sang in the choir. I have a younger sister, and uh, so I, one of my earliest memories is that my mother and my sister were not in church that day, but my dad was in the choir, and I needed to sit with an adult in the, con in the congregation. And on the front row, the mayor's wife always sat on the front row, and I was seated next to the mayor's wife. And we sang the hymn that's known as the national hymn called God of Our Fathers, whose almighty hand and has all these trumpet triplets and everything. And I just remember being overwhelmed at standing next to the mayor's wife and she was booming out this, this hymn and the <laughs> organ was booming out the trumpet triplets. And that's my earliest memory of, of singing a hymn in church. My dad, uh, among being a, an accomplished musician, uh, was also a collector of hymnals and um, he also tuned pianos. And he, when he would go to a church to tune their piano, I almost hate to say this, but he's, rest in peace, has not been around for nearly 30 years. If, if it was a church hymnal that he was not familiar with, he would pick one up out of the pew and bring it home. And, and so I uh, uh, would play through these hymnals this started happening perhaps in my uh, junior high years, uh, middle school years, and I would play through hymnals and um, I attribute my ability to pretty much always have A's on my four-part writing um, because it, when you're sight reading hymns, uh, you learn how the voices move. Yeah, yeah. And that was a big influence on my ability to write in four parts uh, in the common practice time. That's great, thanks. Uh, tell us a little bit about your faith journey. Having grown up in the church, I was always very active in, in the church, but I have to say, and, and that it's, it's fair to say that that has almost always been connected to the, to the music. Hmm. And I, I can't imagine that singing these, singing the words on the page of, of hymns, of anthems, of psalms, somehow that, that, that I was not um, affected by, 
by those, whether I understood them or not. I mean, I've, I've had many opportunities now that, as old as I am, that I've encountered an old line of a hymn text, and suddenly it makes sense to me. And I understand, oh, this is what this is about that I may have never understood when I was much younger, mm. did not have enough life experience to understand what, what I was singing. Mm. But I, I think, I can't imagine singing them and not believing. It doesn't mean I've always been a faithful practitioner, um, but that, that part began to change when I was in my 40s, and that's when I started writing mm. the hymn tunes. Isn't it, I, I, it seems to me that a good hymn text is similar to good music in that way, that you know, you can hear uh, a Beethoven symphony through a thousand times, and on number 1001 hearing, suddenly you hear something different. And, than you, and have a completely new experience yeah. and understanding of it. Um, tell us how you came, first came to write music for worship. I started writing songs in the seventh grade, um, and, and they were just little ditty songs. But... It's no secret, uh, today, uh, I, today is my 70th birthday. And so, um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, but in the 1960s, this thing called Christian folk musicals, that was a thing. And they became very popular in, uh, and, and they were composers, and I don't know who they were, but they were churning these things out. And I was part of a group that would uh, we would join together several church youth choirs would get together and perform these musicals and they had a real deep impact on me again that was a, a spiritual impact on me as well as the musical impact and I had my best friend and I decided we should write one of these and we wrote our own musical that had 10 or 12 songs to it and um, it, it was never performed but it was a, quite a, an interesting e experience with that. So that would be my first time adventuring into writing music that had to do with, that was uh, sacred. Mm -hmm. When I went to college, um, I, the, 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 the choir is my first love. And so I uh, began getting, becoming exposed, of course, to the, all this great choral music going back to the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and up, up, up into the present day and was deeply impacted by that. And I, it was one of the first things that I, that I did while I was in college was I composed a, um, a setting of the Mass. So I have the full, the, the ordinary, the Mass, the Curie, the Gloria, the Credo, the, the um, Sanctus, and the Agnus Dei. Um, and portions of that were performed at, at school and um, made their way around to some other, other places and got other performances. They had never been published commercially, but that was my first like worship music mm. writing, yes. That's great. Um, what or who has influenced you and, and why do you write songs? Well, I write songs, once I discovered that I could write, um, and, and then realized that that, that, that that was something that I can do and that I'm pretty good at. You write, I think all of us write what we know. We write what we have heard. We, we write what, in response to how something that we've experienced has affected us and it, we, we hear it this way, but when we decide to, I don't think that I tried to necessarily copy or duplicate, but I'm very strongly influenced hmm. by. 
And my deepest influences were the great choral music. And most of those came from Great Britain. Um, so even going back into the things like the, the Renaissance, William Byrd and Talis, um, I'm deeply affected by their choral writing. Um, I especially love modal, modal writing. And then I fast forward to the 20th century, and then there's Ray Vaughan Williams. Yeah. Um, not only his hymn tunes, but his grand choral, choral works, um, Britain. Um, and one of my most favorite is uh, Herbert Howells. Mm. I cannot listen. When, when it comes Christmas season, I put on Herbert Howells a spotless yep. rose. Yep. And I will play it a half a dozen times in a row just to get to the last phrase. Yeah. On a cold winter's night, and that that cluster, that chord on winter, takes me to my knees every mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. single time. Mm -hmm. And I I can't write like that, <laughs> but I dream of it. <laughs> um, but that's that's my that's where my heart is in terms of my influences. Uh, now a lot of that has changed in the last thirty years because I've been exposed to so many other kinds of influences and other kinds of congregational songs. Thanks. So I want to ask you about um, collaborating with hymn writers. Um, there are several people that I've noticed you collaborate with frequently. Um, uh, Mel Bringle, um, our friend Tom Troger, who, who has recently passed, passed away, um, and Adam Tice come immediately to mind. Um, each of them has a unique style of writing, and it seems to me that you're music almost adapts to each of their textual styles. Um, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about, about that. Do you approach musical settings for their texts differently? Yes, the answer is yes, but I would not be, have been able to tell you that 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 was a conscious decision. Hmm. Um, that it's just how it, I think, has evolved. Um, I would add one more hymn writer to that, um, who was also uh, deceased, and that would be um, Herman Stempfli. Mm. And so I, I, I would agree that generally it's true that I had a, a sound that might emerge more for Herm, and then a, a, a sound for Tom, and a sound for Mel, and then Adam is in his own category. <laughs> um, Tom and Herm and Mill typically compose their texts in what are standard uh, hymn meters or hymn forms. They follow a certain number of syllables and, uh, a cer and certain rhyme schemes, and they rarely deviate from that. And certain ones favor different, different, different meters. Um, so with Herman, um, he favored um, common meter uh, or common meter double. Not that he couldn't write in others, and, uh, and all of these can write in, in many, many meters, but the predominant, their favorite tended to be, in, in Herman's case, common meter. I also, he was also Lutheran. <laughs> and because I knew he was Lutheran, I had this, and I typecast of, of what Lutheran music is supposed to sound like. So I would um, he, I would write things for his uh, text that might have more of a chorale nature to them. And with uh, Tom Troger, um, Tom would write continuous lines of thought 
from one line to the next, to the next, to the next, and you might not encounter any punctuation, or you might encounter a comma, but you might not have a period until a whole eight lines have, have gone by. And so that tune that I would write for that, as opposed to a chorale tune, which might be more up and down, to write something that had more linear motion to it. There's one of his texts that has four stanzas, and the first stanza, the first line, the, the, the trail of thought goes through the entire hymn and does not have a period until the end of the fourth stanza. <laughs> and so at the end of stanza one, two, and three, I ended that, I ended the tune on the dominant and then only at the final stanza was I able to bring it back and close it out in the tonic where we began. Yeah. Although, and having just said that, there's many times I've written tunes that started one key and ended another. And then I have to figure out, okay, now how am I going to get the congregation back to where we start? Um, Mel Bringle, Mary Louise and her, her, she goes by Mel, Mel tends to write if left to her own devices, she favors triple triplets. And so when you have triplets, you get these more dance type feel. And so I have a lot of, of things that I've written for Mel that have, um, that have more of a dance nature to them. Uh, we'll sing one of those tonight that's a, a tango. Um, and, um, and so it's, uh, it's very, very danceable. <laughs> um, Adam Tice, who, you and you've written now a lot for uh, for Adam. Adam is um, does although he is a master at being able to write in standard hymn forms. He prefers and challenges himself to write in forms that are irregular um, or just out of the box. And he takes special delight in sending me texts that he hopes will stump me. <laughs> and um, and so. Uh, he wants to see what I wants to see what I'll do with them, and those have been a lot of fun. I think the um, the you were mentioning long meter and short meter, and I think the the old school term for that is peculiar meter. Yes, peculiar, peculiar meter. meter. Sorry, P P M instead of C M. <laughs> right, P M, peculiar meter. And I, so far, I think I've risen to every one of his challenges. You know, <laughs> but it's fun. So that's how. Um, so, you know, these are things that I can look back in hindsight and say, yes, I sort of had this style for, for Herman's text. Yeah, yeah. I sort of had this style for Tom. And other people noticed that. Like, like Adam is our editor as well. And so he said, well, you, you've got a Trover sound and you have a Brable sound. <laughs> and what we haven't talked about is when I compose tunes that have no words. From, I began writing hymn tunes in 1990. So I was just about 40 years old. And I had an occasion to write a hymn tune. Uh, a church in my hometown was celebrating an anniversary. Someone in their congregation had written a new poem about the anniversary of the church. And I was asked to write a hymn tune. I'd never written a hymn tune, but I'd sung hymns all my life. I said, I would love to do this. And when I did that, I thought, oh my goodness, this is so fun and so satisfying to write an entire piece of music that, that has its exposition and development and its recapitulation all on one page. And so that just 
sent me into a just a frenzy of wanting to do it again and again and again and seeking out seeking out uh, new hymn texts and things like that because I had just learned that there's such a thing that people were still writing. Um, but I also found myself, you know, driving in the car seemed to be the place that happened the most, where just melodies would come into my head and I, and I would later on try to capture those and put them down and discover they were in hymn meters. Um, and so um, once I started doing that, then I thought, well, okay, this is, this is cool. Um, so then I would in turn take these tunes and send them to Herman Stempfli and Tom Troger and Mel Bringle and say, can you, here's a tune, can you find words to, that fit in these, in these tunes? And some of those have become my, I think some of my more successful ones, even, even commercially in hymnals, they found their way into uh, ones where the tune has come first. That's great. I've, I've done just a few of those. Most, mostly I'm working with a text that somebody sent me or a text that I've found somewhere. But uh, there's, there's kind of a unique thrill, I think, when you send a tune off to somebody and then it, you get this text back. Right. And they find something in it that speaks to them and it conjures up a, an image. Yeah. It might even be something that you had no idea that, that could be found in it, but that's where they went with it. Yeah. Um, there have been times where I've written a tune and I would say, I think there's an alleluia at the end of the, every line. And, and then that that turned into being an Easter piece. Um, and, and one we were talking about recently that I did uh, a couple of years ago for the Advent season, and it's rather a mournful, longing kind of tune. And I said, I think this has to do with um, December 21st, the solstice and the, and the darkness and how many people find that um, there's a lot of depression that happens during that season for many people. And so um, uh, Mel Bringle wrote this text called, This is Our Longest Night. Hmm. So. That's great. Thanks. Uh, in a hundred years, <laughs> if only one song of yours was found in congregational song repertoire, uh, which one would you like it to be? Okay, you know this answer would be different if you asked me that you know, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow yeah. I will say, though, one hymn that I wrote 30 years ago has already found its way into multiple hymnals. None of the hymnals it's in has used it with the text for which I wrote it. And that's, in, that's ex sort of actually exciting to me is that they like the tune on the merits of the tune yeah. and that it's, it's usable with other sets of words. And that's, that's, been, that's been neat. Is um, that... Uh... Joel. Joel. Joel, yeah. That's the, my tune of Joel. Um, and so if that's an indicator, who knows, maybe in 100 years, Joel might mm. still be around. Um, if I were to choose one, <laughs> uh, today that answer would be a, a tune that we are going to sing tonight, and it's called Lockley. And... The reason I would hope that it might be around in a hundred years is because of the words that it is um, associated with, that it is, and that the words that we so desperately need, and it's this is a tune entirely about a, a text entirely about peace, and um, so I would hope that we would still be 
Well, I'd hope in 100 years we wouldn't need to sing hymns about peace, but I'm afraid that we, um, you know, wouldn't it be, <laughs> wouldn't it be wonderful if peace were the norm at all times, but um, today I would hope that Lockley might be sent to be some. Voices United, a congregational song podcast, is produced by Benjamin Brody with support from the Hymn Society in the United States and Canada and Whitworth University. Special thanks to the Center for Congregational Song for publicity and technical expertise and Whitworth University student Saul Cuddy for editing and production.